Good morning. This morning's Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 to 23. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire Over he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you, you are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. 
I have swept away your offences like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Thanks, Vanessa. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, you're welcome to uh, leave it open there. Maybe even if it's on a screen. Although you might turn that off by the end. Let's see. 18 years is how long it takes from, to go from being a uh, fully dependent infant all the way to an independent adult. 18 years. It's how long you might spend driving your kids to school and back uh, or anywhere else they want or need to go. 18 years is, is the average amount of time that you will have between retirement and death. And 18 years is how much time the average person spends on their phone in total, if current trends are projected forward. 18 years, that's one third of our waking lives, five and a half hours each day. And if you add other screens into the mix, uh, TV, computer, etc., it jumps up to seven hours or 40% of our lives. Even if you are just half of that average, that's a lot of screen time. Uh, when uh, the movie Wally came out in 2008, we laughed at some of these scenes, didn't we? I mean, sure, it was a kind of heartwarming reminder not to turn into screen zombies, but it was still absurd. It was like, this is crazy. It's not going to be like this. Well, we are now officially a third of the way there. And you can see it when you walk down the street, can't you? You know, zombies. Now, I know that you're ready to fire back some excuses at me, and I'm ready to fire some at myself. I use my phone for work, of course. I use it to connect with people. It's social. I use it to read books. I use it to read the Bible. I'm doing that right now. I use it for ministry, even. And there's definitely some truths to these claims. But our screen time statistics, especially the most used apps and websites, usually will tell the real story. And if you haven't already looked at them, you might want to do that when you get home. We're constantly using our phones to make ourselves busy or to switch off. And while screen time is really, I guess, a surface measurement, the time part is still really important. Because our worship, you know, what it is that we, we idolise or worship in our life is defined by what we devote, dedicate and offer our time to. And it is hard not to feel at least a little bit uncomfortable when you compare your Instagram time or your YouTube time to your time in God's word or prayer. But maybe you don't feel like it's an issue. Maybe you don't feel like someone up the front shouldn't be telling you how to use your phone. You know, your screen time is your choice. You're immune to addiction. It's not a sin. 
Nobody can tell you what to do. Everything is permissible, you may say. Well, if that's the case, you're good to go. There's not much point sticking around for the rest. In fact, I'll even give you a departing blessing. May your phone bless you and keep you. May your phone make its face shine on you brightly and be gracious to you. May your phone turn its face toward you as often as possible and give you peace. Now that's a little bit absurd, isn't it? If you're not familiar with it, that's the Old Testament priestly blessing from Numbers 6 and I've replaced the Lord, who is a person, a God, with your phone, which is an object. But see, this is what idols are. They are absurd. They are absurd. And that's what this passage in Isaiah 44 is highlighting. The absurdity, the ridiculousness of idols. And that's our first point this morning. Have a look again at verse 16. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and he eats his fill. And he also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. And, you know, if you've sat around a fire, you know how it goes. Oh, how good is that fire? Oh, it's so good. I love this fire. From the rest, he makes a god. His idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my God. What's God doing here? He is making fun of idols. Quite bluntly. He's making fun of idolatry. He's making fun of idol worshippers. To take a material that is made by God, to harness it with strength that is given by God, to use it to cook food which is provided by God, and then to take the leftovers, shape it into the image of a man, which of course is made in the image of God, and to worship it instead of God, is ludicrous. It is ludicrous. Why? Well, firstly, because an idol can never rise above the one who makes it. Just like humans can never rise above the God who made them. And this passage talks a lot about how God's made us. But when we worship something that we've made, when we kind of devote ourselves to it, whether it is an object or perhaps an idea or an experience, well then, we exalt that thing to a place above ourselves. Even though God placed us above everything else in creation. And secondly, it's because an idol cannot rise above the material and become spiritual. Humans can be spiritual because God has made us in his image, both physically and spiritually. But nothing else in creation can be. And yet when we serve stuff, whether it's screens or money or cars or houses, we are giving them a spiritual status that they do not have. My phone is a complex composition of elements. Silicon, carbon, aluminium, lithium, copper, silver, gold, nickel, magnesium, tin, lead, and a few other bits and pieces in there. It's just chemicals. 
Now, sure, it's a smart device, but it is still a man-made object, isn't it? It will never be as smart as the humans who made it. And of course, who are made smart by the God who made them. And the phone will never be a speck of smartness compared to God himself who made us. And yet we, we get addicted to it, don't we? Now, of course, there's deeper reasons than just those elements that it's made up of. You know, there's the pings and the notifications. We love that, don't we? It's like the phone's always there ready to give us attention, to be our best friend. Hey, hey, you know, you need some love right now? Ping. There's the swipeability. You know, our phones, they are a literal bottomless bucket of, of more. It can just keep going. It is endless. I want more, I want more, I'll just keep going. There's the apps and the ads. You know, our phones are like personal butlers. Hey, I know what you need. Here, you should try one of these. Or I saw the other day you were looking at this or I heard you because I was listening to you talk to your friends and now I think you need to have one of these. There's the accessibility. Psychologists have talked about how our phones have actually become like an extension of our bodies. You know, God's made us in his image, but we've sort of added a whole limb to ourselves, haven't we? It's this electronic device. They're always at hand. We don't feel whole and complete without them, do we? Where's my phone? I'm I'm not me. There's the producing and the reproducing. Our phones are actually great tools, you know, and we can create with them. We can create order. We can fulfill our God-given purpose. And of course, there's the, the blessing, that warm glow. Our phones are literally lights that shine on us in dark, lonely, stressful times. They give us grace and peace, don't they? Ah, that's better. I can just look at my phone. Far from the old analogue communication devices, phones are now made to be so much more, aren't they? They're the greatest objects in the world. The gateway to relationships, to experiences, to ideas and philosophies, to knowledge, and even to values. And it's fair to say, from, from what I've said as well, that they can be great tools. I'm not, I'm not dissing them. You know, phones are ingenious inventions that God has enabled human beings to create. But when the tool becomes the master, the absurdity returns. Our phones can never be more than us. They cannot be more human. They cannot be more of a friend, they cannot be more moral, they cannot be eternal. And they certainly can be never, never be more than God. They cannot be wiser than Him, they cannot be closer or nearer than Him, they cannot be more comforting than Him, they cannot be more enabling or empowering than Him. As the passage highlights at the beginning, God formed us and shaped us. And yes, He gives us the ability to form and to shape stuff because we're made in his image, we only can do that by his gracious gifts. He is always the source. And of course, our phones in and of themselves can never be spiritual. No matter how smart the algorithms get, 
AI will never be sentient. Skynet will never become self-aware. Sentience, consciousness, is the gift that God gives only to human beings, only to spiritual beings, beings with a soul. Not to plants, not to animals, and not to robots. Our phones are poor substitutes for fellow human beings, and they are even poorer substitutes for God. To treat them as anything more than a tool, even subconsciously, is absurd. So with that in mind, what can we do? Well, firstly, we need to stop and think. This is what God says in verse 19 that no one is doing. Nobody stops to think. Everyone does what they're doing by default, like zombies without brains. It's just natural. It's a bit like that picture in Wally, isn't it? You know, everyone's hypnotized by the screens. They're, they're in a daze. It's only when they get knocked off those uh, automatic hover chairs that they have to start thinking. It's like, what, what, where am I? Is this the real world? What's going on? Somebody help me back on my chair and to get back to my show. Perhaps we all need a, a lovable robot, which will never exist, by the way, to knock us out of our trance, to make us stop and think. We need to approach our screens Mindfully, not mindlessly. We need to be spiritual human beings, not soulless zombies. And we need to take control, have self-control, not be controlled, as we talked about last week. See, the rise of smartphones has coincided nicely with the fall of discernment and critical thinking in our world. You know, these objects, they help us consume more and more and more and it's right there at our fingertips. It's immediate gratification and yet we do it with less and less intentional thought about what or how much we're consuming. How often do you stop and think, is this good for me? How often do you evaluate whether something is beneficial, not just permissible? How often do you ask, you know, is this true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy? As Paul calls us to dwell on in Philippians 4. How often do you ask, is it worth my time? And let me tell you how annoyed I am at myself for preaching this right now. I'm annoyed because I just want to robotically consume the rubbish, the KFC of screen content. But I know that I need to spit it out. So much of it. How about you? How's the quality of your consumption? And how's the quantity of your consumption? What do your screen time stats reveal? I'm not here to tell you that you have to cut down. That's not my job. I don't know what kind of time you spend on those devices. Only you know that. And everybody's different. Everybody is using them for different purposes and all sorts of factors. But I am here to tell 
every one of us, including myself, that we have to be intentional and we have to be discerning and we have to be decisive and we have to be self-controlled. That is all in Scripture. Choose the what and the how much of your screen activity and, I mean, really, everyone should do that. Choose it for the glory of God. Always comes back to that, doesn't it? Remember that the mind and the thoughts, they are just part of our main spiritual organ, which is the heart. Verse 19 literally says, when it says stop and think, it's actually saying, bring it to heart. Bring it to your heart. And verse 20 says there, uh, when we don't do that, our deluded hearts mislead us. By the way, how relevant is that last part there? I love that. Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? <laughs> it's like, was this written just for us? Maybe it's not, but you know, there's empty promises there. Is this thing in my right hand? Some of you are holding it right now in your right hand. Maybe it is. Jesus says that sin comes from our hearts. They are idolatrous and wayward. They tell us to chase other gods and to worship stuff. And so when we deliberately bring good things to our hearts, through our minds, then we feed them with what is true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And nothing meets those criteria like God's word. Now, I have to be very careful about handing out blanket instruction, but I think that this one is a safe one. If your screen time is anything over even 15 minutes a day, but you are not being fed by God's word most days, you can change that today. It's, it's that easy. It takes discipline, it takes self-control, but it's that easy. And if you often claim busyness as the reason that you're not spending intentional time with God or perhaps your church or serving, and yet your screen time is an hour or more, then you, and I put this kindly, are deceiving yourself. Your deluded heart is misleading you. And I want to confess that my deluded heart is always or is often misleading me in this way. So stop and think and then remember and return. In verses 21 to 23, the passage changes tone using these words. It says, remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So what should we remember? Well, firstly, remember that God made you. That he made you. As it says back in verse 2, and also, of course, Psalm 139, God forms us in the womb. He knits us 
together, every cell, every gene, every atom, every bone, organ, vessel, nerve and limb, he crafts lovingly. And he gave us a soul. Sorry, it's a cockroach. Uh, He made us to be spiritual beings like our God. He is the only one worthy of our adoration and our admiration because he lovingly forms us from nothing. Why to know him, to belong to him. As verse uh, 5 says at the beginning, his name, the name of the artist is written upon us. We belong to him. Not to anyone else and certainly not to anything else. And then secondly, remember that God saves you. He sweeps away our offenses and sins like a cloud. He does not forget us. He forgives us. For all of our delusion and stupidity, He forgives us. For all our idolatry and unfaithfulness, He forgives us. For worshipping things of our own making, Stuff made in our image, even our very selves, he forgives us. And he sets us free from slavery to sin and slavery to stuff. He is the only one worthy of our adoration and admiration because he lovingly redeems, restores, reforms and renews us. He not only gives us a spirit in creation, he gives us his spirit in redemption. As verse 3 says, he pours out his spirit on us. And that is our blessing. That is our blessing. That is his grace and peace in our lives. That is his face shining upon us. And so if you're a believer, the the call is right there in verse 22, return to your Redeemer. If you've been misled by your deluded heart, maybe taken captive by the promises of your screens, chuck a yui to return to your Creator and Saviour. This is where the word repent comes in, isn't it? In the New Testament particularly. Acknowledge your default sinfulness. Confess it. And then choose the better path. Pray about it. And maybe at this point you want to add some accountability into the mix. This is what the body of believers is for. Go up to someone you know and say, can you help me keep accountable in, in how much time I give to my screens and how much I give to God's word or other. And if you're visiting today or you're not, a believer. Well, this could be a call for you to turn, without the re, to turn, to choose the living, creating, redeeming God over man-made objects and their empty promises. Because they all come to nothing, these things. They can never match us, let alone God. They can never be spiritual, They cannot fulfill those those deepest of needs. 
and they will not last. But God is far greater than us. He gives us his spirit deep within and he is forever. Wood rots and metal rusts and glass breaks and our phones are fragile and faulty things. Not to mention, we all know how quickly they become obsolete, don't we? Oh, two years is up, I better get an upgrade. And who knows, one day the internet itself might be packed in by a virus. But God always was, always is, and always will be. He and his gift of life and salvation will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Let's pray. Father, we want to confess to you that Our hearts are idolatrous. They're often deluded. They mislead us. Uh, From our hearts comes so much of our sin and rebellion. We want to confess, Lord, that we quickly enslave ourselves to stuff, to things. Maybe for some of us it's our phones or other devices. Maybe it's something else. But Lord, it is our default way. And Lord, even if we don't sit them physically on a pedestal and bow down to them, you know that even in our subconscious, we give the best part of ourselves to these things instead of to you. And we ask your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness your redemption. We thank you that you have made us, you have formed us, but you've also redeemed us. You've given us your spirit. That we are spiritual beings, just like you. And that through your spirit too, you seek to guide us and lead us away from the captivities of sin and more and more into the freedom of redemption. So Lord, we pray that you will help us. Help us to be intentional and discerning and decisive and self-controlled with the stuff in our lives. Help us to use them for the wonderful tools that they are, but not to worship them as if they're more than that. Lord, help us to use everything that we have in ways that will glorify you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.